tonight's uh, topic is what is your life? If you could please turn in your Bibles to James chapter 4 and our text is James chapter 4 verses 13 to 17. There are many ideas what we are to do on this earth. Some may say, as long as you're happy and live a peaceful life, you have a good life. That's what you've got to aim for. You've got to aim for having a peaceful and a happy life. Some others would say that you are there to sacrifice for those that you love, for those that you care about. The important thing is that you do what you can the best for those that are close to you. And a lot of that comes to uh, sacrificing for your family, sacrificing for your friends, um, doing that which is seen honourable for your nation. That's what your life's about. Others may say that as long as I can live and make the world a better place when I leave, But tonight, I'm going to show you that each one of you has a purpose and that life is a bit more serious than some of these humanistic ideas. We have been created by God and God has created us for a purpose. And we will look at things that we could be doing with our lives Important things that we need to keep in check to help us stay focused on our life. So if you could please once again turn in your Bibles to James chapter 4 and verse 13 to 17. James chapter 4 and verse 13 to 17. It reads, Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow, We will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapour that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoiced in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and to doeth it not, to him it is sin. Let's pray and commit the service to the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray to you that as we look at your word, that you would give me the strength and the power to uh, illustrate what I believe that you have laid on my heart. Uh, We pray to Heavenly Father for uh, people that have come tonight, that your Holy Spirit would um, speak to them in a way that would strengthen them in our spiritual walk. And we commit all these things to you. In your name I pray. Amen. The question is asked, what is your life? This question sometimes could be a little bit troubling. It could even seem to be a little bit confronting. It's, it's, uh, it's 
bit forthright, you know, what, what is my life, you know, couldn't you be a bit, uh, a bit more nice, it's a bit brash. I'm not exactly here to make you feel in despair or in angry. Sometimes that can be like, I really don't know. It might, it might bring something of anxiety, but we're not here. We're here to have answers from the Word of God, to give you hope, to look forward to what God has for you. Uh, I want to r- remind you that God has created us, and everything that is generally created has been created for a purpose. And God has created you for a purpose. In Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11, at the end of the verse, it is mentioned that we are created for his pleasure. As it says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honour and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. And that includes us. We are there to bring glory and honour to God. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, it makes mention that we are to shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. There are things that we expect to do what they are designed for. And some of those simple things might be when you leave, whether you put your key in the ignition or you press the button, you expect the car to work because you're hoping that you're going to be able to go home unless you came on the bus. And if the bus, you hope that it's going to come. And probably more importantly, and this might almost give people just as much stress, is if you were to touch your phone, you'd hope it would work. Especially in our younger generation, if we touch our phones and it doesn't work, there's a bit of panic. There are certain things that we expect to work as they have been designed. And God has, in a sense, expectations, or you might say he has a desire for us. And this leads to our first point. The first desire that God has for us is salvation. If we are not willing to trust him with our soul, that when we die, well, why would we trust him with anything else? Why would we bother to, it would just be just advice, and then we would decide what we would do. In 2 Peter chapter 3, and verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but in long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God has a desire, firstly, for every single person within this room and outside this room, that they may come to a knowledge of the Lord, realizing that they are a sinner and that there is no way that they can get to heaven unless they trust in the death and the burial and the resurrection. Of Jesus Christ, who was without sin, paid for us. Sometimes we would like to continue on life and not seek the Lord. And this sometimes can be likened to trying to fix a car and not following the car manual. Or maybe you might have something uh, not as 
uh, it's hard to fix. There's not as many people. We're not in the 70s anymore. Uh, there's not many people that service our own cars. I still try to do the oil changes. It's probably a bit old-fashioned. <laughs> but it's important that when we look to the Lord, we seek his guidance through his word on how he would have us to live our lives. If we don't seek the Lord's wisdom in how we ought to live our lives, we are elevating ourselves to be in a position of God or maybe we're following another God. And the scripture makes mention of all other gods are man-made, whether they're made in our, by our hands or made from our minds. I want to go a step further. We may be a religious person. We may trust in the Lord. We may be a Christian. We may go to church. But are we really trusting in what God has for us to do? Or are we saying that we are saved uh, and we know we're going to heaven and we are going to just continue on as a Christian, but we see it more important to be a good person. We see it more important to sacrifice for those that we love rather than doing what we believe the Lord might have us to do. Imagine if Noah was to say to God, I'm happy with my life. I don't want my neighbours banging on my door, saying that I'm mad, giving me a hard time, saying I'm crazy, why are you building a boat? We haven't even seen rain. Why would I do that? But God noticed him and he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He could have said to God, even though it wasn't written, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 18 where it talks about living peaceably. I'm trying to live peaceably among all men. I don't want to cause any trouble. But no, he saw the importance of obeying God. If we want to be effective with our lives, we need to be sensitive to what God is calling us to do. You might ask, well, how can you be so sure about this God that you talk about? Well, not only did he die, and I mentioned before he was resurrected. It mentions in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 to 6, that there was at least 500 people that witnessed his resurrection. And is, there is even recorded secular Roman historian, Tacticus, who has recorded that he has witnessed and recorded that he resurrected. So there is proof that not only he has done what he has said, but people have also recognised that it's not without fault. This is why we can trust in the God to guide us as well. Uh, the second thing I would want to look on is as we continue from salvation, it is important that we have a relationship with God. God desires to have a relationship with each Christian. He didn't just want to save us and leave us. That would be contrary to the Bible. Because in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, it says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. God wants to have that relationship with you. He wants to speak to you. And this <coughs> would bring to, to memory that when you get to that stage of life that you're getting close to, to marriage, 
you probably see people talk. Some people, they only talk to one person, and some people, they, they open up the variety. But it's very obvious that they're trying to get close to that person because they spend a lot of time speaking to them. And if you're old enough to be a, a parent that's had a child that's at that age, <coughs> you'll notice that sometimes they wake up in the morning and they're tired because they've been trying to talk to that person that they love or they might have been messaging so they didn't make any noise. And there is very obvious that they're spending, trying to spend time and to get to know that person. So we, as Christians, need to see the importance of getting to know the God that we serve. You may go through life thinking about uh, the person that you love. I certainly did. And in fact, I had a, a job which didn't require too much thinking. There was. But I was digging holes. <laughs> and when you're digging a hole, you know, you, you take dirt out and you put it to the side. <laughs> take, but you put but dirt back in. So there's obviously a lot of things that go through your mind. But it's important that we try to focus on God, just like there are other people that we cherish and that we focus upon. How do we build our relationship with God? Well, just like you'd listen to a person that you'd try to get to know, you listen to God by reading his word. You listen to God by listening to people who read the word to you and explain the word. This is how we can listen to God. It's important not only to listen to people but also to talk to them as well. Sometimes you might talk to people but you feel like you're never going to be able to talk back. But if you've got a good relationship with them, you're going to be able to talk to them. God wants us to talk to him. And this is why it's important for us to pray. This is why it's important for us to ask the Lord, what would you have me to do? Am I where you want me to be? We hear of David being the man after God's own heart and he would often start his psalms with, O God, O Lord. David knew the Lord and God because he regularly spent time with him. This leads us to our third point. Sanctification. The third desire that God has for us, which leads us from the second in building our relationship, is that God desires for us to grow through sanctification. You might ask, that's a big word. And being a school teacher, I often have to break down some of the words. Sanctification might more simply be put to set apart or separating. I had a look at my uh, biblical dictionary that I had at home, and that's what it said. The more that we love God, there are things in the world that become less important. Uh, and this is a natural thing. It's not something that's forced. This is our desires change. When you were younger, there may have been things that you liked and you cherished very much. I know myself personally, I used to have this little blanket. And then there was a point in my mind where I put that blanket and I actually put it in the bin and I moved on. <coughs> but that was that something that happened naturally. My parents didn't say, it's time to move on from the blanket, Josh. 
It's time to move on. You've got to grow up. No, I did that naturally. My desires had changed. And as a Christian, the more you seek to know God and grow in Christ, your desires are going to change. Those things that you like are going to be different. There's a Sunday school song that says, the things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. And that's the same as a Christian. If we really seek the Lord in how we are to grow, there will be things that we don't necessarily enjoy doing as much. It doesn't mean they're bad things. It's just, eh, I don't, it's okay, you know, maybe on a holiday, but my focus is to, with the Lord, serve him, tell people about the Lord. God desires for us to have character like Christ, and this takes time. This happens throughout our whole life. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Be ye followers of me, even as I am followers of Christ. And this is confirmed in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, where it, the Bible teaches us that God wants us to be conformed into the image of his Son. So not only did Paul say, Be ye followers of me, so I am of Christ, he also wrote in the inspiration of God that God wants us to be in the image of his son. And that's not the physical appearance. That's the character. That's the outworking. People can often look at their children and they can see different likenesses. Some are physical. Some are mannerisms. And probably the disadvantage my wife had is she didn't see my family very much when she was getting to know me. But then when she went to Adelaide, she could see some mannerisms of things that I picked up from my parents, like, oh, that's why you do what you do. Mm. <laughs> and as a Christian, it needs to be obvious that we do certain things because we have the nature. We want to be like God. We want to do those things that please him. The next point is, I believe that God has a desire to see the lost saved. God desires that we become soul winners. We can desire for the world to be a better place, but the best way to make the world a better place is to win souls to Christ. It doesn't matter if you join a political party, raise awareness about many different things, fight the fight. But you're never really going to make the community a better place. You need the power of the Holy Ghost within a man to change. You may stop someone from doing what they do, but you're really just conforming them. You can cut a tree down but eventually there'll be new shoots off to the side. Unless something has changed from within, it's not really going to have changed. Being a school teacher, I can tell children to do things. I can incentivize them to do things. But as the Bible says, our hearts are desperately wicked They'll do what they're told to do because that's what they should do and they don't want to have something to happen or they want something that I might give them. And 
we can be like that too. But I can genuinely see when someone wants to do the right thing because they have a change of heart. And it's obvious in children's ministry sometimes who is a Christian, who's not a Christian, because the way that they respond. That, that there's the Holy Spirit's conviction within their heart. Children can try to be good because our parents have taught them how to be good, but they're not always going to do because that nature eventually is going to come out. It might take a little while. They might have to be in junior camp for a few days and then eventually you'll pop out. It'll come because that's what's within the heart. Salvation is what man needs, not education or reform. I was reading a bit of an article about the Welsh Revival and there was, when there was about 6% of the population that of the adult population that became Christians, it was recorded that crime had dropped between 5 to 12%. And if you want factual proof, there you go. You don't need to give education. If someone is going to change their actions, salvation is the start because the Holy Ghost is changing from within. Missions is said to be the heartbeat of God and if we are to be like David, we don't need to necessarily conform people. We need to help them see the desire that God has for them to be saved and that will change their actions. Is this the focus that you have as a Christian? Being saved, having a relationship with God, growing through sanctification, endeavouring to see people saved? Is this what you're focusing your life to be? We've read in James chapter 4 that our life is like a vapour. And that's why I have the little picture of the hour. um, hourglass on the notes time can go very quickly you can speak to someone that is of retirement age and they will tell you that things move very quickly but not only that the last thing I want to talk to you about is the desire that God has us to be a part of the body God has us to be a part of a body. God created the church and he has a role for you, a place where he wants you to impact the world, not through an organisation, but through the local New Testament church. And this is the first place that you can start with your involvement. Whether it's something not being known where you're up the front like what I am now or something that's secret that no one really knows about and you may only know if someone was to tell you. It's very clear in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16 that God has fitly joined the body together. God has a role for everyone to be a part of the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, 11 to 27, it talks about how each member has a purpose. And why don't we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 
probably go from verse, start from verse 18. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but just to give you an idea of how important it is for you to be involved within your church, whether it's seen or unseen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, from verse 18 to 19, and then I'll skip through a little bit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 18. But now God sets the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? Now let's skip down to 22. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble, are necessary. And those members of the body, which we think to be less honourable, upon these we bestow more abundant honour. And our comely parts have more abundant comeliness. Now let's also skip down to verse 26. We'll read verse 26 to 27 to see how this unfolds. And whether one member suffer all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honoured, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ and the members in particular. I did skip through a few things, but there was a bit of fighting within the church of Corinth and some people were looking at what they were doing up front and saying, well, I must be important. And... Paul specifically says earlier in the chapter, if you're all eyes, where's the hearing? And if you're all hearing, then where's the smelling? Whether you seem to be important or not, you are important. Just because you're not up front doesn't mean God doesn't need your purpose. In Luke chapter 16 and verse 10, it emphasises he that is faithful in that which is least is also is, is faithful also in much. It's important to be faithful in the small things that God has given to us. And that's one thing my, my dad constantly told me as a child. He said, you need to focus on doing these, these little jobs that I have for you, whether it's emptying the bins. And uh, he, he would even say, you know, if you can't empty the bins... How do you think you're going to be when you get a job? It's important to learn these little tasks so you are able to do greater things. Samuel was faithful in obeying God and doing his role as a young boy and God called him to be a prophet in 1 Samuel chapter 3. David was faithful in doing his role and God called him to be the king over Israel. 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7. And Saul was called to be a king when he was just faithfully doing what his dad had told him in 1 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 17. But there is a small difference here. And Pastor did mention that a, lot, a number of different people don't really like to be associated with Saul. Saul did do what he was supposed to do but he did not reach his full potential because of something simple. And I'm not going to tell you right now. Let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15 
and verse 22 to 23. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 22 to 23. The reason why I'm making you turn to this passage is because this can be the difference of you reaching the full potential that God has for you or not reaching the full potential that God has for you. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22 to 23, it says, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. If you really want to fulfill what God has for you to do, it's just as simple as obeying, obeying, obeying. When we stop to obey, and we do things that we think might be right, or someone else tells us in, that we think might be right, and we don't seek the Lord in seeing if it is right, we have a problem. You may be familiar with the story of Joshua. They just they sought the Lord to take over Jericho because that was too, too hard for them. It was above their abilities. But then they sought to take Ai, and they thought, you know, we have the ability to do this. But they didn't seek God. And they ended up with 36 widowers. If we want to do the things that God has for us, we need to seek the Lord and to obey Him. To seek the Lord and to obey Him. And the only way that things are going to change is whether we become proud and we think that we could maybe do it better or that doesn't seem right. I can tell you right now, there was many things that Moses was asked to do in the wilderness and he, if he did what he thought was right, they might not have made it to the promised land. And most of them didn't make it because they did what they thought was right and that's why they didn't make it. How can we become people like Noah, Abraham, Samuel and David? If we continue to seek God and see what he has for us and just faithfully obeying what God has for us to do. Obedience starts with salvation. That's when you give in the first time of your will. You say, I can't do it and I need to trust you. Then it continues through sanctification. This happens multiple times. And sometimes we disobey, then we obey, and then we learn, and, but, but we grow over time. Obedience is what helps us to know what we should do. We should be doing in our life, being sensitive to obeying God, like Samuel, David, and Saul, and constantly seeking God's will. Be faithful in what God has called you to do. And it's important that we do it in lowliness of mind. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. 
why God placed you here on this earth and what is the purpose it's not pleasure Solomon wrote about that he said it's his vanity in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 11 it is not just to keep working Solomon wrote about that in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 26 Why are you here? You're here to serve the Lord. You're here to bring glory to Him. And this is where we look at James chapter 4 and verse 14. And we look and ask ourselves the question. James chapter 4 and verse 14. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapour that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Am I doing what I should be doing? What helps me to do what God has me to do? And that would be obedience. What prevents me from knowing what God has me to do? That's pride and disobedience. What can change what God has for me to do? That's sin. It's obvious in 1 Timothy that there's certain qualifications to be a bishop. Unfortunately, there's things that we saw with Saul. He sacrificed the lambs. He didn't ask God. Disqualified. Doesn't mean God's finished with you. He's not finished. He has a new purpose for you now. But you just might not be doing what he originally had. Don't be discouraged. He has something for you still. You are still important, just as we saw in uh, Corinthians. All different members. But if we want to be like David, Samuel, and not like Saul, we've got to sensitively be asking the Lord, what would you have me to do? Some of these tough questions might be, are you in the right job? Well, I'm making a good wage, I'm providing for my family. Yeah, but does God really want you to be there? Anyone that went on the mission field or is a pastor... They ask themselves that tough question. Am I doing what you want me to do? You might be like, well, I don't think I could do that. Well, maybe you might not be able to to do something like that, but God might have a ministry for you to do. But you need to ask yourself the question, am I doing the job that I ought to be doing? Is this really where I ought to be? I mean, I've changed careers. So it's not like I'm not talking from a little bit of experience. I don't, I did it when I didn't have a family, so it's a bit different. But my dad, as a testimony, he, he had to do that. And then he went a step further. Are you where you ought to be? 
Are you living where you ought to be? Are you in the church that you ought to be? Well, you won't be preaching soon, <laughs> will you? No, but are you really where you ought to be? You've got gifts. They need to be used. Are you where you ought to be? And there might not be many, many people in this, this category, but are you seeking who God wants you to marry? Because that's going to affect a lot of your life. If you get the wrong person, you might be obedient in many, every, many other areas, but that will change what you might be able to do. There's been many people that have even been in ministry and pastors that they were never able to go to the mission field what God had them to do because the wife wasn't quite willing to go that far. They were still able to be preachers of the word. They were still able to have a purpose. But they probably weren't able to do exactly what God has for them to do. So as a young person, you have a lot ahead of you, but you have more of a responsibility to seek the Lord for what he has for you to do. I'll close with a bit of a story. When I was nine years old, you think, well, it's a bit young. Yeah, a bit of a philosopher. <coughs> I was struggling to sleep one night and um, I could tell you the house we were in, but that wouldn't make any difference. And fastest kid, <laughs> doesn't mean anything. And I was just struggling to sleep. I was a Christian. I was baptised. And I was struggling to sleep. And the reason I was struggling to sleep was I was thinking, I was thinking through the process of life. And I was thinking... So you get older, you finish school, you get a job, you get married, you have kids, then there's grandkids, then you get older, and then you die. I'm thinking, oh, sorry, but this doesn't sound very <laughs> enticing. <laughs> this is a cycle. <laughs> I was thinking, oh, wow, I'm only nine. <laughs> it won't be long. <laughs> But there's a bit of truth in that. It might not be long. But what encouraged me is to be able to seek what God would have me to do. Make your life make a difference. It might not be seen here on this earth. No one will pat you on the back and give you a certificate and a plaque and say you've been serving here for 10, 20 years. Fantastic. But God knows what you're doing and he's going to recognise you in heaven. When we were starting the church up in Port Adelaide, there used to be this man, Ron Pierce, he's in glory now. He used to have this little walker and he letterboxed probably about 30,000 tracks by himself. But that's because he did what he thought God would have him to do and he just kept doing it. Now you'd be like, 
doesn't matter what we do as long as we're bringing glory to God. We've got to be faithful in what God has given to us. We've got to be, we've got to be <coughs> sensitive. As it was mentioned in Philippians chapter 2, we've got to be lowness of mind. Oh, I'm, I want to be up front. Well, enjoy the pressure. <laughs> Talk to pastor. <laughs> it's not all fun and games. <laughs> There's a reason why you lose hair in the ministry. <laughs> My dad started without it. No. <laughs> but there is joy in serving Jesus. There is joy in doing what God has for us to do. And that's what gives us purpose. That's what helps us get out of bed in the morning. I mean, we've got Monday coming. If you are where God wants you to be, he will help you through. Let's bow our heads. I pray and I hand it over to Pastor.